I'm Matt Garrow-Fisher, and this is the Burn From Within show. Each week, I interview inspiring people who have changed their career or life to light up inside. So if you want to get excited about your Mondays, work on meaningful projects, and have more time for the passions and people that matter to you, stay tuned. On this episode, I talk to Stevie Bellamy, a British-sounding former construction business owner based in Australia, who not only has an uncanny resemblance to Brian May from the band Queen, but also has founded a beautiful charity for children in Indonesia and Nepal called The Pencil Tree. It started from recognising that kids didn't even have or couldn't afford pencils in their schools. Realising this and his ability to use his skills and resources to make a difference with this third world challenge, Stevie began to really light up inside and discovered a new passion and purpose in his life. His charity now gives the lives of hundreds of children across India and Nepal and their families a brighter future. But Stevie realised that the biggest smile and most fulfilled person involved was actually himself. In this episode, we discuss how Stevie accidentally stumbled across a need to give while on a luxury holiday in Nepal, what life was like before finding fulfillment, earning millions in the construction trade with multiple rental properties, a luxury lifestyle, but feeling an empty void inside. Finding moments of giving and seeing other people's face lighting up can change you inside and spark a new purpose in your life. What you can do in your own neighbourhood to make a difference and feel fulfilment, even with little money. And as always with my guests, the one thing that made the biggest difference to burn from within. I hope you get as inspired as I did by hearing Stevie's story. And if you are in the position he was in, feeling unfulfilled in a career or business, perhaps even if you're making good money and living a luxury lifestyle, there are some practical tips for you to make small changes to move to a more meaningful path today. The full show notes and videos of other interviews are available at burnfromwithin.com forward slash interviews. So listen all the way through and enjoy. Let's go back, Stevie, to before this all happened, before Pencil Tree all happened, and you were working in the construction industry for many years, actually. You had your own companies, quite successful in the construction trade around Brisbane, I believe. So tell me a little bit about life back then and the kind of the steps you took to going leading up to starting Pencil Tree, because life was quite different back then. It was very much different. I had a wonderful life. I had a beautiful home, beautiful cars, investment properties. We had amazing holidays all around the world. And then we went to Nepal to go and see Mount Everest, as you did. And um, seeing the poverty around there really struck me. This was in 1998, I think, in 1998, over 20 years ago. But the people were gorgeous. And I realized that I wanted what they had. 
They had no material possessions, but they had a warmth and a happiness and a satisfaction that was missing in my life. So over the years, I returned to Nepal and then to India, um, and I was involved in a lot of projects. We built a school. We put, we put water tanks in villages. We raised money for heart operations, all those sort of things. And then it was in 2006, I was in northern India, and I think I told you the story about a young man that I had known for many years. He was the houseboy in the guest house where I used to stay. He was really keen to further himself, but he had no education at all. So in the evenings, I used to sit and read to him, simple English for four- and five-year-olds. And he, he gained a good knowledge of reading and writing. And we put him through a computer course and mobile phone course. So he left the guest house and went to work in an internet cafe where he gained confidence and competence, and he gained some money too. And then three years later, the guest house where he was the houseboy became vacant. So he took on the lease. Now he manages the guest house. Wow. Wow. That was uh, the, the start of how I realised that such a small thing can make a big difference in somebody's life. And then six years ago, I was staying at the guest house, and um, one day he said he was going back to the village. And he was throwing a few things in, into his bag before he walked off for five hours to the village and he put some pencils in his bag. And I said, Sarinda, what is with the pencils? He said, sir, I will walk past the school where I went as a boy on the way to my family home. The kids can't afford pencils. I would drop these up for the kids. When he came back, I asked him to take me to the school. And I took pencils for all the kids. And basically the pencil tree was born on that day. Wow. So it was very simple. What was it that changed inside of you that made you think, I'm, I'm going to start this, I'm going to start like a charity, essentially? That's something that not a lot of people do. Um, so what do you think, was there something just inherently within you that you were always going to do it or did something change within you? Like what was that kind of breakthrough change in your life that you that made you think, I'm focusing on helping children in India and Nepal? Basically, it wasn't my intention to start a charity. I was just collecting mobile phones in Australia, taking them to India, selling them there, and with money I had of my own, I'd buy things for the schools. First it was one school, and then a second school, and a third school. And then I heard that there was a, a slum community not far away where they had a tent school. So through a friend of mine, I started giving blackboards and exercise books and pens and pencils to the school in the slums. And then on one of my trips, I found out that the authorities had gone in and destroyed the slum community, which had been there for 24 years. And they put the people in trucks and take them off into various directions and just dump them there and come back and destroy their little shanty houses that they lived in. So I made some inquiries and I realised there was a, an organisation called Tonglen, which is a Tibetan organisation, that cared for the slum dwellers. So I found that they had a little office and I went down there and introduced myself and I met a wonderful man called Yang Yang, who's a Tibetan monk who ran the Tonglen Charitable Foundation. And he had a hostel for the slum kids that were in dire need. He was putting them into private school education. 
And I said, why not just send them to a government school? And he said, sir, if they get a good education, they'll get a good job, and they will take their parents and families out of poverty and give them a good life. And my whole life changed then. So we registered the charity officially, and I was taking people with me to show what we were doing, and they wanted to be involved. And Tim was one of the people that was on that trip. So he said, I want to, I'll want i do the admin for you. Tim, and Tim is your treasurer now? Tim is now our treasurer. So now we've got a full board of people that have been with me and want to be involved more than just giving money. Yeah, so you have a team of people that you met in India or in Nepal, and that just grew. So you've now got a treasurer, you've got someone that helps with marketing, you've got like all these different key roles of the charity. They, that all grew organically. Absolutely. And the young man that I used to sit and read to many years ago, he's the manager of the pencil tree in Dharamchala in northern India. Wow. So if somebody requests our assistance, he goes and checks out the schools to see if they you know, are needy of our help. So he's gone from the sweeper boy to a manager of a guest house, and now he's the manager of a charitable organisation mm-hmm. as well. Good. Let's go back to, again, a little bit to your construction days. and and. I know that there was a change where something made you go to India. I remember you, you telling me before that you just had to get on a plane and, and, and you were out there for nine months at, at one point. And that wasn't like a, an extended holiday. It's like you had to be there. So what happened just before that, that led up to that point? Well, exactly. Actually, um, a guy I met in, uh, in Nepal in 1998 was living in India and doing voluntary teaching for, for the locals. And he kept saying, you must come and visit, you must come and visit. But I was too busy making money and everything. But I had a breakdown. So everything stopped. And then I got an email from Pete, and he said, when are you going to come? Well, so I, I was having difficulty with panic attacks and anxiety, and I couldn't go into Woolworths to go shopping. But something told me I need to get on an aeroplane and go to India. And that's what I did. And that I spent nine months trying to find a healthy me, which I didn't find, but I found something that I wasn't looking for. I found people that were absolutely opened their hearts to me and said they had nothing. And I realised all those years I'd gone just chasing the dollar gave me no satisfaction at all. And these wonderful people I was engaging with had something that I wanted. So it was a personal journey for me. And then the Dalai Lama quotes something He said, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy yourself, practice compassion. And that resonated with me. So I thought, I'm just going to start giving. And I found so much joy in giving to others. And what they give back is priceless. It's priceless. The first, I remember in our last conversation, you mentioned about the moment when you gave something to one of these children. I don't know what it was, if it was a pencil or, or something else, but maybe it was a mobile phone, but you said the, the joy on their face when you gave whatever it was to them. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience of like how it might have changed you inside and, and what that was like giving something to a child? over in, I believe, in India at the time. Yeah. It was India, yes. I made up a student pack for each child in the school. 
It had 10, yeah, 10 exercise books, 10 pencils, 10 pens, a ruler, pencil sharpener, some balloons, and some lollies. Very simple. It's around $5 worth. So for a, a school of 60 kids, it's $300 to supply enough stationery to last them a whole year. But when I go and I, and I give each of these, child, these kids a student pack, the joy is just palpable. I've given a million dollars to get what I receive from a child when you give them something new. For them to see their faces when they open that bag and they have a brand new box of pencils and a brand new pack of pens, something they've probably never seen. They get one pencil and that's probably chewed and you know, secondhand. So it was initially, it was, it was quite a selfish mission for me because I was getting the reward. The kids were getting the stationery but the reward I was getting, I could not buy anywhere else. Amazing. And it's hard to describe that connection with another human being. But it's, that's why I like to take groups with me. But when they can see it and feel it and taste it and experience it for themselves, it's priceless. So tell me a little bit about these groups that you take over to India, to the schools as well, and showing them the, the work of the pencil tree. What what do you do with these groups and what's the purpose of you taking groups to, to India? So literally, they pay for everything themselves. I just do all the booking. Uh, the pencil tree makes no money out of these trips. I want them to have the experience that I have had with these wonderful people. So literally, they, they just come with us. We stay at the guest house where it's all started. They looked after really well. And then we have taxi drivers that we've been using for many years now, they pick us up and they take us to remote mountain schools that is basically what we support. And they get to, to be introduced to these wonderful teachers and these amazing kids. And it's an experience that they will keep with them forevermore. It's not like lying on a beach in Bali, snapping your fingers for a pina colada. <laughs> this is a real experience. Just looking back, like if you hadn't have travelled to Nepal, I think that when you, I remember you saying you helped out one of the porters in Nepal when you were doing a, a trek uh, in the Himalayas, and that kind of gave you a sense of this sense of giving was so fulfilling. And then obviously with the guest house in India, you had that experience of helping someone. If you hadn't have gone to Nepal or India and you carried on with your life over in Australia in, in the construction industry, do you think that you would have found this purpose another way? Probably not. I'd have gone to the Caribbean or I'd have gone to Alaska or skiing in Aspen, all those things. Just a shallow existence. It was beautiful, five stars and everything, but there was no satisfaction. And I couldn't understand how hollow I felt when I came home. Yeah. I spent a fortune and had no joy to bring back. The harder I worked, the more I made. I had investment properties. So everybody was envious of me, but I felt shallow. I, and I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe I should, you know, try and discover God. Or, um, But going to Nepal literally changed my life. And the group of people I was traveling with, we trekked for, you know, 14 days or 17 days or something. We'd become very close. And um, at the end of the trek, we had one more night in the mountains. And I went round that night and said, 
if you've got any boots or jackets or, or pants or jumpers or anything you're not going to need in Australia, would you like to donate them to, to me and I will make up packs for each of the five porters that we had? And that's what I did. They packed and the next morning at breakfast, they took away a pile of things. And when you see these wonderful porters that had carried our bags and looked after us, put up their tents and brought us meals, and they had the thinnest cotton pants and just tennis shoes, and it was, you know, zero degrees with snow and everything, how they survived, heaven only knows. But the joy when they had a decent jacket and a pair of boots or a jumper or something was just amazing, and that changed my life. What would you say to people, Stevie, that are in the shoes that you were in years ago when you hadn't gone to Nepal and you were feeling... Now, they might be feeling empty inside, but doing really well on high salaries, running success in successful careers and successful businesses financially, but feeling a bit of a void and empty inside. What would you advise them to do if they were in those shoes now? For the adults, I'd say, come on a trip with the pencil mm-hmm. trip and see how other people do. Yeah. And for any of the mums and dads, we all direct our children to get a good job, to earn lots of money. But nobody ever measures their success by how happy they are or how content they are. That's not part of the syllabus. It should be number one. Everything is to be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer. I'm sorry, that doesn't work. We should find out what gives us joy, whether it's exercise or painting or music. And that needn't be your career, but that has to be a major part of your life. And I have found that by giving to others, what I receive is far more than the monetary value of what we've given out. And everybody that's been on the trips has felt the same. They felt embarrassed. They've got $2,000 worth of clothes up in their bodies, and they've got a giving to a child that's never even had an ice cream. We've got it back to front. Happiness should be our number one goal at large salary. Do you think that Western world, Australia, Europe, US, Canada, is sheltered from poverty to an extent, both within their own countries and also developing world? And why do you think that is an issue? If it is. It's an issue. And there was, a, there was an advert on the television last night talking about one million children in Australia living in poverty. That's not poverty. We have the welfare system. There are lots of schemes that can give money to people. So no child in Australia needs to be poor. When you travel to the third world countries, That is real poverty, when they don't know where their next meal is coming from. And that is why we are focused on giving these kids from a really low caste a private school education so they can get a good job and they can help mum and dad. But combining that with the fact that it's not me, me, we are trying to develop a mentality where you look at your classmates and your teachers and your family and the society around you and what you can do to develop 
happiness and connection with everybody. And that the school that we've just built last year, the model has to have the reading, writing, and arithmetic, of course, but we also do role playing if somebody's angry or sad or confused, so they can communicate with that. As we all go through it, those things are kept quiet. Like mental health, it's only now starting to be spoken about openly. It had a stigma about it, and that has to be dropped for us to grow and move forward. We're all talking about coronavirus now and how many people have died. That's terrible. But more people commit suicide every day than have been wiped out by coronavirus, and that's not spoken about. Happiness must be on the agenda for going forward. We have to have the balance. If it's just about money, it's not going to work. And that is why one of the reasons why we take people to India, because they feel gratitude and contentment that they haven't felt before. They feel lucky that they're living you know, in Australia or Singapore or America, wherever our guests come from. But we can't turn a blind eye to our fellow human beings that are suffering. And like I said to you the other day, these kids live in a plastic bag, basically. It's their homes are three metres by three metres at most. It's just bamboo and plastic. And there's one bed and a few bricks for a fire. So the whole family sleeps in the bed and they all huddle around the fire. They have to go out to the bush for the bathroom. It's, this is dire. But when they've had an education and they've learned new skills, they can go off. We've got engineers, we've got journalists, we've got nurses. We've got mechanics and plumbers all come from this program. Amazing. And one of my favourite students now is, tra- is in her second year in medical college. In four years' time, she'll be a fully qualified doctor. Then she will take her family out of the slums and put them into a small apartment, and she will care for them. So it's no good doing it and just keeping it for me. We have to spread it out. We have to spread it. There's no need for poverty and starvation. If we all just spread it, I don't want to go communist. <laughs> we have to have things to strive for, but strive for it, but bring the people that are struggling with us. Yeah. And on that point, Stevie, bringing the people with us, there's people out there that maybe are on the verge of giving and they've got some great skills. You, know, you have you, you built up some incredible skills in your career in the construction industry, built very successful businesses. How did you transfer those skills to starting and doing all of the projects that you do in the pencil tree? Because there's a lot of people thinking, yeah, I've built this whole career. Can I just leave it and all of those skills that I've developed and put it into something like a charity? What would you say to those people? My business was successful because I was aware of the people that work for me are human beings. I remember many years ago, one guy was not working well. So I, I had a word, took him to one side, had a word, and his grandfather was near death. So I said, Pete, go and spend some time with him. So he was away for three weeks, and his, his grandfather died, and they buried him and everything, and then he phoned me and said, have I still got a job? I said, of course you have. He paid him for those three weeks he was away. When he came back, He was the best worker we ever had because 
I had given him something, so he gave back. And then somebody else was going through marital problems. I said, just go, sort it out. And we didn't see them for months. But when they came back, they put in more effort. So whatever you give, you get back. Maybe not from that same person, but it's, it's got to go around. It's the way the universe. We have night and day, light and shade and everything. So if you give, you get back. But the idea for us is not to give to get something back. That's just a bonus. But the world is built that way, so it has to happen. We are, we are in abundance. Anything you want, you can have. But don't tread on anybody else to get there. There's a formula that we're not aware of. It's very simple. But it's because it's so simple, we don't trust it. And say, when we have a project, I think I said about the school, it was 18 months ago we committed to build one classroom. And within 12 months, we built a four-story, 10-room school. Because that was my, our focus. That's what we were going to do. So it has to happen. If you want to go to China, you go into the travel agency and say, give me two tickets to China. If you go in there and ask for a ticket for Indonesia, that's where they'll send you. You have to ask for it and then focus on it, and it has to happen. That's just the way nature is work. If a seed falls in the ground and it rains and then sunshine, it grows. That's how it's meant to be. But mankind seems to have missed that point somehow. We've got selfish. What was in it for me? And that's, we lose it. But we're a community. We, we all, live, all live together. We have to help each other. It sounds like, Stevie, you have always had this giving quality. Although you were running successful businesses in Australia, the way you run those businesses by treating it as a human business and making sure there's a really good balance of, of give and take, but really give, give, give. That's what's made you successful, but you've, you've transferred that way of being into the pencil tree, which is what's driven you on to, to do so many amazing projects. With the, particularly picking up on the point about raising money, I think it's amazing that you've built this school and initially, I think you, you told me before, you asked one of your colleagues to lay the foundations, one story of the school. And then you said, I'm going to get the money. I'll be back and I'm going to get the money. You came back with, I think it was $50,000 or something like that with money. The first classroom was going to cost us $15,000. Okay. So I came back to Australia and I started sending emails and started talking to people. And people seemed quite keen to be involved. So I phoned up Jamyang in India and I said, put foundations down for all three classrooms but deep enough so we can go up four stories. We still didn't have any money at all. We only had that desire to make it happen. And as soon as the wheel started to, to, to get rolling, it just money started to come from everywhere. And rather than people giving $5 or $10, they were writing checks for $2,000, wow. $4,000. $4, so before the first classroom for $15,000 was even started, we had enough for all three classrooms. So within months, the first three classrooms were built. And I thought that would be it. I thought it would take us years before we could get any further. But we put the photographs up on social media and the database and website and everything that this was happening, and more people got involved more and more. And 
the word just spread. It, it just, it was unstoppable. It was, and I can't explain it. I really can't explain why, but it resonated with people and they wanted to be involved. And the whole school cost us $158,000. Some people pay that for a car in <laughs> Australia, which is obscene in my estimation. Paid to a four-storey school. But that building will be there for years and years. And it was my absolute honour and joy to be there at the opening ceremony to cut the ribbon. That was a mess. I was just, the tears were just running down. I remember I was with Jam Yang the monk and I was cutting the ribbon and the tears were running. And the one child pulled on the robes of Jam Yang and said, said, Jam Yang, what is wrong with Steve, sir? Is he really sad? And those are tears of joy, my dear. That is all part of it. To show we're emotional beings, that we hide those emotions. I think we should open up and show, and show our emotions. Mm-hmm. If you're sad, if you're angry, if you're whatever. If people know that, then they can help you get through whatever it is, or share in your joy. We're not supposed to be doing this on our own, Matt. Yeah, I think a lot of. A lot of the time society has made us believe or told us to believe that crying is weak or showing our emotions is not the done thing. But actually, you're completely right. It, there's a reason for it, and it's, it's to, to build human connections and to, to get people to, to come to you when you do need help. It's a, a natural, natural process. I'm very curious, Stevie, about your purpose because you definitely – you're on a mission. You're a man on a mission now. This pencil tree phenomenon is, is a purpose. Is a, You're living a very purposeful life in building this more and more. What would you say, if you were to say one sentence or one statement about what your purpose is now, what would that be? And how do you think that's changed from back in the days of when you're in construction? I think I was lucky enough. I've always had a purpose. But my purpose was to make as much money as possible, to make myself as comfortable as possible. But when I realized that I was getting no satisfaction out of that, now I've harnessed that drive. And when I take people to India, of course, I want them to write a check at the end. That would be the ultimate, because I want to help the children. But on the first trip, I realized that it's not just the children in India and Nepal that we want to help. We want to help the people that come with us on the trips or even just help us at a garage sale or a dinner or whatever event we do. I want them to see life differently and to practice compassion, to be grateful for whatever we have and to have happiness as our main goal, not just money. So it has to be a win-win balance. I don't want the kids in India and Nepal to win and somebody else to lose out. I don't want people to come on our trip and win and the kids lose out. If it's a win-win situation, it's perfect. It has to work. If somebody wins and somebody loses, that's not good. And if we have a win-win-win situation, even better. And that is possible. But we have to consider all parties. So you wanted a one-word answer. (laughs) a one-word answer. Well, actually, I guess part of the big purpose of yours is about learning. 
And we were talking about difficult moments in life where, for example, it, when you might have had an anxiety attack, for example, or you may be having struggles in your business, or if a child, you know, is, is, is struggling in, in poverty. You mentioned that in any of these moments, there's always learning. There's always, there's always learning from those. And it's like an empowered meaning behind that suffering, which, which you can build on, you can learn from. Yes, I believe we're not here to pay off the mortgage or to build a good business or to have a great marriage and have a nice car. That's all great, and that's all part of life. But our purpose on this planet is for us to learn. Because I believe that I believe in the Buddhist philosophy, and I believe that reincarnation is a possibility. So we're here to learn. And if everything is going well, we don't learn anything. We learn most when things aren't going well, when we're faced with adversity or death or illness or all those things. That's when we learn. But so many people bury themselves in the, the turmoil or the pain. Oh, gosh, why me? Why me? I think we should step back and say, what have we got to learn from what is happening in my life? Because if you don't learn from it, something else will happen bigger and worse than what you're going through now. So whatever happens, if you just sit and relax and learn from that, then we'll go on to bigger and better things. What do you think the biggest learning has been, both for you and I guess the world, with this whole COVID-19 coronavirus? Because a lot of people have been suffering, in India in particular, there's, there's really a lot of suffering there and all over the world, in fact. What would you say the kind of, what can we learn from, from this whole episode? I think we have to learn that we are nesting creatures where we live in a community. And when people are out in the streets, I think in England every Friday night, clapping for the health workers who are lowly paid, you have to look at everything. Somebody might be earning seven million pounds a year running a company, but having no effects on the rest of society. But a nurse who's paid a fraction of that is literally between you and death. We give too much importance on things that aren't important. We need to rethink everything, I believe, and value each and every one of us equally. Because some of the people we deal with in India, the locals won't go anywhere near because they're low caste. But they're just human beings. We've invented this caste system. We're all the same. We're all the same. And I don't care if I'm with the Queen of England or a pauper in the street. I treat them exactly the same because they're just the same as me. Nobody's better or worse than anybody else. Their situation might be better or worse, but as a human being, we are all exactly the same. And that is one thing that the people that come on our trips realise, that they might be only earning a few dollars a week but they bring us a nice coffee or then bring us a nice meal and they smile. They, we're all the same and we all need each other to get through our lives. We have to have a big rethink, I think. I was going to ask about maybe people that want to have more purpose in their life, but perhaps they're, perhaps they're happy with their job, they're happy with their business, but they want to give more or, or have more of a purpose and more purposeful life. Because obviously it's made a huge difference to you and all of the other guests I've had on the show. 
what would you say to to them in order to take steps to, to leading a more purposeful life if for example they for whatever reason they can't go to india or nepal or or start a charity are there small steps that that people can take to start feeling purposeful and and and, and giving more absolutely i met an older couple last week and they said we'd love to come to india but we don't travel anymore we'd like to sponsor a child but we haven't got the money what can we do to help and i said there's a guy that lives down the road he's 93 still living in his home you could pop round once or twice a week for a chat and maybe take him a meal and maybe mow his lawn the difference you will make in that guy's life is Right, you, you can't measure how it is. Or maybe pick him up one morning and take him to the supermarket, do some shopping. And they said, well, that's not going to change the world. I said, it won't change the world, but it will change that guy's world. And that's what they're doing. The couple, so he goes down there and they talk about cricket and whatever old guys talk about, you know, which is great. And the wife, every two, two or three days, she takes around some casserole for, for the old guy. And what they thought was just a charitable giving, they are really, they really get on really well. And they, they are getting as much joy as the old guy down the road. And the last few years of his life will be joyful. And they're almost like, they've only been seen each other four or five times, but they're almost like family. I don't want everybody to join the pencil tree and help us. You can help around you. Just look around you, your next-door neighbours, somebody down the street, somebody in the church community or the football club. It's always something you can do, and it brings you joy. Cut up the oranges at the, at the local football on a Saturday, but do it with love and joy, and you'll get it back in spades. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in life, they they don't necessarily find purpose or the act of giving until they're presented opportunities, whether they have kids and that gives them an enormous joy in giving to their kids or coming across children in in India and Nepal and seeing the joy on on their faces when they're able to help them. And I think the amazing thing that you're doing, you're not only helping kids in Nepal and India, but you're also, with these trips, you're facilitating changing people's lives by giving them that gift of the realization of what it, what giving can can do for them as you said when you were helping out with these schools you were the one that was actually getting the main benefit although all these kids yes. were were you know learning and so grateful you were the one that had the biggest smile on their face and i think there needs to be more facilitation of these experiences of giving to people that are less fortunate than us particularly when we are unhappy and financially successful but maybe miserable inside you know having that opportunity to have a different lens on the world and seeing what is out there that and and and, and an opportunity to give we all have that opportunity i think that's an incredible thing that you've set up and you know where i'd love to people to get in touch if they're interested in giving more or, or going on some of these trips how can people get in touch with you stevie or get involved in the pencil tree or even come to india and, and have some of these experiences we'd, we'd love you all to come 
sponsoring a child to have a private school education in India costs around $1 a day. These are children from the slums, private school, and they have the opportunity to go on to college and university. But there's other opportunities. If you haven't got the money, you can collect bottles and cans for the recycling and raise money that way. You can give out flyers. You can tell people. But take, it's not just about the pencil tree. It's helping your local community. I felt quite embarrassed that I felt so good doing this stuff because we're brought up to be selfish. It's all about me, me, me. And I thought I was still in that mindset. But then I realised the joy that we were giving to these kids. And again, the win-win has to be part of it. But please, anybody can check out the pencil tree at hotmail.com for the email address. Our website is uh, the pencil tree. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Get in contact. And even if you don't want to be part of the pencil tree, still get in contact if you've got any questions about what you can do in your neighbourhood or community. If we all start giving, the world could be a completely different place. And I'll put in the, uh, the description and show notes all of the links to Pencil Tree and how to get in touch with you, Stevie, as well. My final question, I call someone that's living with purpose, with passion, and is well-balanced in their life, someone that's burning from within. And you are definitely a person that, is, that burns from within right now in your life. You're lit up inside. You're very passionate about the work that you're doing, and, and it's seriously purposeful. What would you say has made the biggest difference for you in order to burn from within? Losing everything was the big thing, but there's no need to lose everything to find that. That is a difficult question. I don't think there's an easy answer. I studied Buddhism for a while because I thought, that's it, I'm just going to be Buddhist and sit cross-legged and meditate all day. But that is a complete waste of time because that's just as selfish as having a $200,000 car and a million-dollar house. So I think balance is the thing. But disconnect the head and connect with the heart is the biggest one, I think, because we're all different. But the best answer comes from the heart. This has been programmed by our lives. The heart we were born with and we end up with. The answer is in the heart. Find that connection with your own heart and find what it is that gives you the passion and drive to, to make this a better world. I've got to say, Stevie, so inspiring to hear your story, to see the work that you've done for the pencil tree and the, the hundreds of children that you've helped. And actually what's really striking is that your charity, 100% of the money goes to the kids. And like you are one of these seriously selfless individuals that, you know, just puts, you're, you're putting your own money, your own resources, all of your time and energy into this. It's like a mission for you. I really like from the bottom of my heart want to thank you for, for the interview today, but also for your work. And if, if anyone is looking at giving more in their life or finding that moment of purpose, feel free to reach out to Stevie, a.k.a. Brian May from Please. Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're a Queen fan, for sure. And, and yeah, I think those experiences in India can change people's lives. And, and, and I would love to, I'd love to meet you out in India when this whole corona thing yeah, uh, goes away. And I'd love, to, I'd love to experience that. So thank you once again, Stevie. Uh, any final words from, for the audience? 
or reflections? <laughs> you haven't got to go to India to change the world. Start at your own front door and spread out from there. If we all do it, this world could be absolutely even more beautiful than it already is. Beautiful words. Thank you. Uh, what an awesome guy Stevie is. And if you want to speak with Stevie directly, you can email him on thepenciltree at hotmail.com, as he said, where you can register your interest to visit his schools in India and Nepal with the organized groups that he discussed. So you too can experience a change inside you from this unique giving experience. Rather than stumbling accidentally on a path to fulfillment like Stevie did, there are now structured, facilitated ways to learn about yourself and find a choice of life paths that are likely to light you up inside too. Check out my new 12-week career fulfillment program using International Coaching Federation certified tools from Firework, now a part of Career Shifters. These have been proven over the last 14 years to help thousands of people find new careers that light them up inside. Go to burnfromwithin.com forward slash fulfilling career. That's F-U-L-F-I-L-L-I-N-G career for more information. And if you found this podcast helpful or inspiring, please leave me a review on the podcast platform you use. Subscribe for more interviews and share the Burn From Within show with your friends. Until next time, live with passion, purpose and balance and burn from within.